We call it Palm Sunday now. But back then, on a Sunday two millennia ago, following the Jewish Sabbath, I wonder what kind of day dawned. Was Sunday a day where coolness lingered in the air, providing a brief respite from the day's inevitable heat? Or, as women stirred to make their first trip to hoist cooking water from the nearby well, or men grumbled toward a field to capture their wandering flock, did sweat already slick their cheek? before the sun cleared the horizon. And what were Jerusalem's inhabitants thinking and doing as that day dawned? A Roman centurion gazed at the empty desert sky, wondering what Rome really looked like. He'd never been there before. A blacksmith stoked the fire, an order for nails today, thick ones, long ones. Nels able to pierce flesh and bone and wood, those damn Romans. A shopkeeper opening for a new day of business wondered if he should raise his prices in response to the great crowds that will flood the city for Passover. Across town, having just comforted his crying child while his wife breastfed their newest a carpenter prepared to leave for the day. He'd, order ex- he'd ordered extra supplies of wood to build more festival booths. Yet worried, he did not order enough wood. Pilate awoke from another sleepless night, barely shifting, for he did not want to disturb his wife. He glanced at her. There was just enough light to trace the contours of her face. Were her eyelids fluttering? Was she dreaming another of her awful dreams again? She was plagued by them. Pilate's throat felt parched. Too much wine last night, or perhaps not enough wine last night. How he hated the city of Jerusalem. The high priest began overseeing the preparation of the, op- the temple's opening, knowing the stench of slaughter and burnt flesh, sacrifices and offerings to God, would soon permeate the air of Jerusalem. A mother needed bread in the darkness of a back room. Each loaf required extra attention due to Passover's approach. She wondered to herself if this bloated, noisy festival truly pleased God. Regardless of God's thoughts, It pleased her, for it brought her children home to her. As the morning light slipped over the horizon, children ran through the streets of the city, dirt streaked before their first meal. And at Bethpage in Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, the Nazarene slowed his gait and then abruptly stopped. I expected he'd say something to Simon Peter, who matched him stride for stride or perhaps to John, whom everyone knew was dear to his heart. But he gazed at me and the disciple beside me. Go into the village ahead, he said. And immediately as you enter it, you'll find tied there a colt that had never been ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. His words were only directed at the two of us. And although we had all experienced his unsettling demands, his reactions, which at first seemed so wrong, 
yet in time were revealed to be so right. A few loaves of bread and fish had fed the multitude, an impure woman and hundreds like her, who demanded to be healed, were healed. The children welcomed on his lap, the soldiers standing near the lepers, married women standing alongside tax collectors, all engrossed as they listened to his stories. So many peculiar, peculiar moments, so many simple truths spoken so plainly. Without questioning, we began walking ahead to the nearby village. The Nazarene's voice stopped us. If anyone says to you, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it. And we'll send it back here immediately. We moved swiftly, puffs of dust rising from our sandals as we silently wiped sweat from our brows. A short time later, we arrived at the outskirts of the village. And there, as the Nazarene had said, to the left was a colt, solitary, a rope harness loosely encircling its neck. Flies buzzed around its nostrils and ears. Its anxious brown eyes tracked our every movement. Breathing heavily, I tugged at the harness. The colt resisted, its pupils widening. I scratched its head, and I whispered in its ear, hoping to reassure him that we meant him no harm. My voice calmed him. As we walked away, a man blocked our path and asked, What are you doing untying that colt? And we told him what the Nazarene had said. Really, he said, I know where I can get you a fine stallion worthy of Caesar. The colt's fine, I replied. The man snorted, for a woman or child, maybe. We returned to the others, both of us holding the harness, guiding it back to the Nazarene. With the beast never once complaining, he mounted, and we continued toward the city of David. Our pace quicker now. I settled in behind Simon Peter, close enough to overhear any conversation between him and the Nazarene, close enough to offer more assistance if needed. The sun rose, fading the bright blue of the cloudless sky. I could already smell the stench of Jerusalem. It was over the next rise, just around the bend. What would this day hold? Where would we stay? Who would we meet? Where would we eat? Would more join us, or would we face hostility like in the past? Each day since the Nazarene first asked me to follow him had seemed a gift. But today felt different. Yes, it was the same sky, the same familiar hard-packed earth, the known and trusted companions, the expectation of a story with a twist or meeting a stranger with a wounded soul or troubling disease. Yet today the same, but somehow different. I wonder what this day will hold for us, for him, for me. Jerusalem lay ahead. We call it Palm Sunday now. 
The beginning of Holy Week, the end of innocence. The beginning of a love that changed the world. There are thousands of interpretations. I wonder, though, whose is right. Every day, then and now, dawns the same. The sky above lightens. Sweat slicks our brow. Shopkeepers work. We love, we fight, we forgive, or don't, or can't. A sleeping woman dreams, troubled by tomorrow's emptiness. A man frets about yesterday's faults and sins, wishing he could do it all over again. A mother awaits the return of her family. Children play in the street. In Mark and Matthew and Luke, two unnamed disciples were sent ahead to secure a colt. Apparently, with ease, their simple task accomplished. But was it really that easy? Wasn't it part of a long list of odd and blessed moments where the ones who followed were being shown how they, they might soon lead in his absence? How they might transform the encounters of the Nazarene into stories and practice a faith that must be seen as new in each generation if it is to thrive as a living faith. The roads the disciples traveled with the Nazarene to Jerusalem was not terribly long in terms of physical distance, yet it was miles deep, marked by years of preparation, vulnerability, prayer, and courage as they traveled farther into the fullness of who they were meant to become in God's creation. I wonder what journey you need to take by inches or by miles to live into the fullness of who you are to become in God's creation so that one day you too can tell a story of how the Nazarene sent you ahead to make preparations for the coming of the Lord. Amen.